Welcome to episode six of the Sonia Looney Show. Thanks for listening to my podcast. For those of you who don't have any context on me, I'm a plant-based world champion, ultra endurance mountain biker, and I travel the world and have met some incredible people with world-class attitudes and ways of living that motivate me daily. I wanted to share their passive mastery with you and also on special editions of this podcast after I do events and things like that, I want to just tell you about them because there's always a lot of lessons and exciting things that happen along the way. This is a podcast about wellness, endurance, fitness, plant-based nutrition, mindset, and entrepreneurship to help you unlock the best and healthiest version of yourself. And today we're going to talk more about mindset and I have my special co-host who appears starting more frequently now on the podcast, my husband, Matt Iwanis. Hello, everybody. And for those of you who are enjoying this podcast, I'm pretty excited. This is episode six. So this is the first month of the podcast. It's been almost exactly a month since it's been out. And I've gotten lots of downloads and great feedback from people. And I'm really glad that you guys are really enjoying it. And if you're really enjoying it, it'd be super helpful for me. I have a Patreon page, which is in the show notes. And Patreon is a way for you to sponsor the show for as little as three bucks a month. Uh, I do pay a producer to help me with this podcast. And I'm definitely trying to find ways to help fund it a little bit better. And with the Patreon page, there's different options. And whenever you sponsor or donate money to the show, you actually get some awesome things in return. And the most fun thing right now are these socks that I have created with Defeat. And they have a program called Bespoke. And what that means is it's kind of like a Kickstarter. So you design a product and there's a certain amount of days where the campaign is available. And in this case, it's available for 30 days. But the socks, since this is a clean rating on the podcast, I will just use the censored version, but they're effing magical unicorn socks. So you can check those out on my social media or wherever. And I'll also put them in the show notes. But if you guys like unicorns or you know someone who likes unicorns, check out these socks because they're pretty awesome. And I get a little bit of a kickback from each pair sold of the effing magical unicorn socks. So it's been really fun because we've been doing a vegan food tour of New York. Matt, what do you think so far about our food choices? Oh, it's been amazing. It, it's pretty cool to be able to get up, find amazing coffee, and then to have vegan restaurants available, but not just any vegan restaurants, but like mind-blowing, delicious food is so such a treat. Like you just walk downstairs out of your hotel and just start exploring and they're they're everywhere it's awesome yeah we've done quite a bit of research and there's been people that have helped us make some decisions but tomorrow night we're actually going to a restaurant that has a michelin star for vegan food so it's been pretty cool because a lot of times you go to a vegan restaurant and it's like the fake chicken or the fake meat and i'm not a big fan of that stuff i like eating whole foods and there's just so much more flavor with that yeah, absolutely. It's it, that's sort of the bailout, you know, easy kind of food. It tends to be higher fat, really oily, but people can relate to that if they've been eating that way. But in general, if you're a healthy eater, you don't want to eat those high fat, oily foods. So it's nice to have beautiful local source. There's so much great fresh products in the, available in the city. And yeah, it's, it's a real treat. Yeah, I think the mushroom dishes have been our favorite, just incredible flavor. And we even had this vegan chocolate ganache at this restaurant called Blossom, and it was so freaking good. Oh, that was amazing. Yeah, and we had a, a rigatoni dish there that was amazing as well. Yeah, it's going to be hard to, to rank them because they've been all so good. Yeah, but I'm going to do a blog post or maybe even a newsletter on the, the vegan food tour of New York City. And I've definitely been updating my Instagram story a lot. I'm sure some of you guys have seen that by the time this podcast comes out. I won't be in New York City anymore, but it's been super fun being here and just doing something really different because all of our trips or most of our trips are focused on mountain biking, which we love and is great, but it's important to have balance. So we actually strive to go on trips that aren't about just biking. Yeah, we actually had an opportunity to get some riding in and, and go to a, a bike park. And we decided, you know what, we're just going to leave that and we're going to leave the bikes and just have a weekend of just, quote, not work and enjoy the experience in New York. It's fun. It's great to have that downtime. Yeah. And like normally we have very scheduled, busy lives and we don't really have much of an agenda other than our restaurant reservation. So our day is kind of focused <laughs> around eating and walking around. But there's these cool 
bike stations here called City Bike. So City Bank obviously is uh, funding that. But I looked on the app and there's maybe a thousand different stations where you can rent these little bikes and you can ride around the city and just dock them and pick up a new one. And it's only 12 bucks per day per bike. So today we're going to do that. Yesterday we did so much walking, but today we're going to cruise around on the little city bikes and go see some of the sites in New York. Yeah, it's, it's really neat walking around. You see a lot of commuters and there's people in suits and ties. There's people, you know, carrying pizzas. There's anything and everything you can imagine that are using these little city bikes. It's pretty cool. Yeah, we saw someone like a dog, like had like a dog case and this little dog head was sticking out. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and actually we were in a in a clothing store, a bike clothing store the other day. And uh, and the guys were saying that the ride bikes, that the center of gravity of these uh, commuter bikes are super low and they have big fat tires. You can really rail them around corners. So <laughs> we'll see if we can put that to the test. In <laughs> Yeah, so we're both here because I just finished up the Transylvania Epic Mountain Bike Stage Race in Pennsylvania, and Matt was at a conference in Niagara Falls, and you actually got to do some riding in Niagara Falls. I did, yeah. You know, when you go to, you know, work conferences where you're stuck inside at all times, I'm sure many people have those situations. It's, it's nice when you can have a bike with you, but uh, traveling all the way across, I'm, we're coming from, or I was coming from Kelowna, BC, across to Niagara Falls is a long ways to go to bring a bike and then to hop down to New York. So I found a great rental company and just rented a bike for three days. And even if it was for only 45 minutes or an hour, I would just get out in between sessions if we had a lunch break or an afternoon break and get a ride in. And oh yeah, it was great. We got to ride or I got to ride up and down uh, the Niagara Parkway right along the falls. And you know, the mist is coming off the falls and even getting you wet. It was, it was pretty cool. Yeah, we definitely wouldn't have room for bikes in our hotel room. Like New York is really expensive and the space is limited. So we're in this hotel room and it's actually called a cabin because it almost looks like a cruise ship cabin. It's so small in the bed. We keep joking. It's like a hospital bed because you push a button and the bed kind of folds up halfway. So it turns into kind of like a day bed couch. Just so you can have enough room to walk through the end of your cabin. Yeah. <laughs> it's, a little, it's a little tight, yeah. but it is really fun. It's a, they did a great job with the decor. So let's get to the Transylvania Epic discussion. So this was interesting because I've done the Transylvania Epic four years ago and I was on a bike that was less than desirable. It didn't really work (laughs) and I didn't even really know it wasn't working, but it was like a 27 pound aluminum full suspension and the suspension didn't actually work. Yeah, two things. I think the suspension wasn't set up properly because a bike hadn't been set up properly. And then the rear suspension didn't even cycle through the entire suspension properly. So you had a hundred mil rear suspension on this like beast of a 29er, and then it was probably running at 50 mils and then not set up properly. So it was almost non-functional, which, you know, is not a great way to be starting your race. Yeah. And on top of that, I was lacking technical skills. I had technical skills for riding like in Colorado and New Mexico, where it's kind of high speed single track, but there's a lot of other types of riding. There's so many different types of technical riding and on really steep or really rocky, crazy rocky terrain, I wasn't very confident. So my lack of technical know-how in that area really was a detriment four years ago at the Transylvania Epic. And right after that race is when I actually kind of started transitioning and moving to BC. And I'm a completely different rider than I was four years ago because I've really spent time focusing on building my technical skills. And I've turned in, I've turned what used to be a major weakness into my main strength. And I would say that my technical prowess is probably on par with my endurance, like endurance being a strength. So it's pretty cool to take a weakness and work at it, especially one that's based in fear of falling and fear of getting hurt and turning the skill into a major strength. And now mountain biking is so much more fun. Yeah, I think that's one of the opportunities that you have in BC is a couple of things. There's nobody in BC, so the trails are everywhere and they're open for anything you like. So a lot of the ridings we did initially when we first rode there, we would ride something and then Sonia would go back and session it. She's like, you know, I wasn't comfortable with that or I wasn't feeling good about this. And she would go back and do it again and do it again and do it again and do it again. And on her own, she'd go out and do the same thing. So. It was interesting because normally when I ride, I I go ride and you just ride with your friends and you go rip stuff as fast as you can. And if you did something that was on the edge of your limits, you felt a little bit of a rush, but then you forgot about it. Whereas Sonia was very thoughtful about how she was approaching each feature and then she'd rewrite it and rewrite it and rewrite it. So the progression was pretty dramatic to see when we fir- you know, when Sonia first moved 
to where she's at today is actually mind-blowing. But even watching that progression happen over time was pretty cool. And it was a great lesson for me because I'm from that area and you get to ride all these technical things all the time. You don't even think twice about it. But you always want to get better. You're always riding with someone who's, or hopefully you have people around you who are a little bit better than you. But to see how you get better, that was what Sonia was able to show me is, hey, if you want to get better at this, just to break it down, take little steps and keep going. So yeah, it's been really cool to watch. Yeah, and part of it was... If you guys follow my Instagram or my social media, there's always pictures of me riding gnarly stuff. And for the most part, I do all my own photography. So I set up my little tripod and it's embarrassing when people bust me, but I set up my camera and I ride it like four or five times. So I'll ride a feature over and over to get a cool picture. And that's also been a fun way to, to session things. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You might look a bit weird sometimes when people are coming down the trail and you're maybe looking at a camera or talking to yourself. But <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I talk to myself normally, but there's lots of homeless people we've been seeing in New York that talk to themselves. And that's been a little interesting to watch as well. <laughs> yeah. yeah, so going into Transylvania Epic, I wanted to come back four years later as a different rider and I wanted to crush the race. And I knew that I had good fitness and good skills and that I was going to train really hard for this race. But all these things kind of went wrong this year. Like this, if I'm being totally honest, this race season has been just full of challenges and things not turning out the way that I wanted them to turn out. Like at the Pioneer, for example, Gordon and I had the crazy mechanical with his wheel, which took us out of any chance of winning the race. So we were second. And at the True Grit, I had a freak show flat tire um, I hadn't had a flat tire in like five years and then I got heat stroke. So like that didn't go so well. And I, I finished fourth, but I, I, it wasn't a very graceful event for me. And then my plan was, okay, well now I have like almost two months. I'm going to train really hard. And I have a few vacation trips booked in. Cause like Matt has these work conventions and we got to go on a cruise to the Caribbean and Puerto Rico, which was super fun, but there was no bike riding involved. And we had some other things planned that we'll talk about in a minute. But I got sick after the Pioneer and I was sick during the True Grit while I was racing and I just wasn't getting any better because I wasn't fully letting myself rest. So I was actually sick for six weeks, which is a really long time. And I was just doing recovery rides. So I lost like a month of training from that. And then we went to Puerto Rico and and the cruise, which is so much fun. And I finally got healthy again. And then we came back home and I had two amazing weeks of training two good weeks, like great intervals. I was using trainer road to kind of check in and see what my sustained power was. And I was really happy with those numbers, but then sea otter popped up and I didn't really ride very much while I was there. Cause I was at the bicycle leadership conference and yeah, I forgot back in March. I also went to California a couple of times for sponsor trips. <laughs> and so, you were forgetting of course, Australia in there for a week. Yeah. So then, and then we went to Australia for a wedding. Like I don't feel sorry for myself. Get, don't get me wrong. I'm not complaining. <laughs> it's been really awesome. But for training as a professional athlete, it's been really challenging to find that balance. So we went to Australia for Matt's best friend's wedding. We went to Noosa and it was incredible there. And we brought our bikes, but it's a 17 hour time change. So the jet lag made it really hard to get any type of quality training in. So again, more um, easy riding and then you came home and then you're jet lagged for another week. So then I had like one week to train for the Transylvania. So I did my best and with my training and I wasn't out of shape, but I definitely wasn't race fit like I normally am for a race. So I had a lot of anxiety going into this race because I thought, well, I really wanted to come back. It's been four years. I want to be like fit and like sharp and ready to go. And I just knew that I wasn't. So mentally I was struggling and having anxiety around that. And I had to kind of reframe what my goals were for the race. And I had to just say, okay, well, all these things happened. I couldn't control them. I made the best of everything that happened. And I still am a fit person. Like I did a lot of work over the winter and there's still going to be some residual fitness left in there, but it's just not going to be as sharp as I want it to be. And I have to be okay with that and I have to accept it. So accepting things as they are is sometimes really hard, but you can still always hope for the best. And I was hoping that I would still be really fit. Yeah, absolutely. I think there's only so many things you can control. And when you look back and you go with the inputs that I had, did I do the best that I can? And so do you have to be okay with that? And everything can't be perfect in life always. And that's especially when it comes to sport. And that's also one of the fun things about sport is you don't know how it's going to go and you don't always get the perfect preparation and you don't always have the perfect outcome. So it's trying to, you know, accept that and accept where you're at and and be happy and in a positive mindset about it. 
Yeah, and it's, it was a great opportunity to work with my sports psychologist, Dr. Chris Keim. I have a, a monthly meeting with her, and she's episode one of the podcast, and that's been a really a heavily downloaded, really popular podcast episode, so definitely go back and check that one out. But we talked about it, and a lot of times I'm really focused on winning. I want to win the race. I mean, fortunately, I win a lot of races, not so much this year, but <laughs> in the past, I have a lot of race wins. I have over 20 career race wins, and Whenever you get focused on winning, your how you perceive the race changes. And I noticed that there was some negativity going on last year. I won the single track six in BC at the end of near the end of my season last year, but I didn't have fun at the race. I was miserable every single day because I was so afraid that I was going to lose. And racing to win versus racing not to lose, we've talked about that in a previous podcast. But I had anxiety going into Transylvania because I thought, well, I want to win the race, but I'm probably not going to win the race because my preparation, I, I haven't done the work. I don't deserve to win the race because I haven't done the work. So I had to change. We, we worked on reframing my focus. And Dr. Chris said, look, like, don't always be focusing on winning. It's not going to be a, a nice for you. And she's told me stories about athletes that she works with who are focused on winning and they end up not winning because they are focused on the wrong things. So I said, okay, well, what am I supposed to focus on? And it's, it seems like a no-brainer, but it's hard when you have a, your emotions in there. You can be objective about it, but you also have your emotions in there. So it's hard to kind of separate those two. So again, we went back to focusing on the process of the race, focusing on one mini goal for the day that isn't winning. It's maybe I'm going to pace, I'm going to try and pace the best I can today. Or maybe I'm going to just focus on how well I'm riding the technical or anything else except for winning. And I'm really glad that I did that pre-work before the race to be focusing on other things and to prep my mind to enjoy the experience over the result. And because in hindsight, after we tell you guys what happened and many of you know, it was really helpful to have that mindset because I had to have that mindset. I don't want to ruin the surprise for those of you who don't know what happened. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think being, and that's part of your training and your preparation before the race to, to give yourself that. And as part of stage racing and traveling to races is being able to deal with the unexpected, not just in the race, but getting to the race, prep before the race events in and around the race. You can't control those things. And the interesting thing is this race was going to be an easier one because it was in North America. It was in a great part of the U.S. The you know lots of people, you know, you speak the language, you know the food, everything's lining up for this to be just a wonderful experience where things should be pretty dialed and you've done this a ton of times. So no surprises, smooth sailing, off we go. We hop on the plane, we're ready for it. Yeah, it was supposed to be smooth sailing. And I've raced my bike in over 20 countries and I've had all different travel experiences <laughs> to the good, the bad and the ugly. And unfortunately this travel experience kind of turned into one of the uglier ones. So it was supposed to be just a couple of flights to get to Pennsylvania, but all these things went wrong. Like I flew a direct flight to Toronto and then my flight kept getting delayed and delayed. And I was stuck in the Toronto airport for almost seven hours and then finally made it to Detroit at like almost one o'clock in the morning and then had to spend the night in Detroit and pay for a hotel because the airlines never want to take care of you. And then I finally got to state college the next day and then my rental car wasn't ready and I had to wait three hours to get my rental car. So Basically, what should have been a really easy travel day turned into a 30-hour marathon <laughs> travel, which I actually was okay with that. I wasn't stressed out about it, and I had accepted it, but it kind of set things up for a lack of patience or a lack of tolerance for future issues that could come up. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's it's challenging when you factored into your schedule some uh, a process to deal with, for example, jet lag from coming from one side of the country to the other. And you, you know, you're always planning to sort of optimize that. So all of a sudden you you lose a day or two in there and now it's you hit the ground on the back foot trying to catch up, make up time and, and get back on schedule, which, again, in a country where it's not super hard to travel and, and speak to people, it's certainly doable. But, you know, you're already kind of a little bit on the back foot. Yeah, so I checked into my Airbnb and the guy was interesting. He was a meteorologist, so he's like, just ask me about the weather. But it was cool because at stage races, normally you're going point to point and you don't get to stay in the same place every day. So I was able to unpack my suitcase and like buy all my own food. And I was pre-cooking all my food for the week because 
I definitely don't want to deal with, I'm, I'm by myself. I don't want to deal with cooking at the race. And it was great to have the control to make my own food. Cause normally I have to eat what the race has. And a lot of times they have a vegan option, but I was able to choose. I made these amazing enchiladas with sweet potatoes and black beans and veggies and all these great spices. And I also made this great sauce, um, a curry sauce that had lentils and butternut squash and turmeric and sweet potatoes. And I was able to optimize what I was eating to help me have good recovery from my races and make sure that the nutrient profile was awesome. So I was really happy about that. So now I'm there and I'm cooking my food and I'm using unfamiliar kitchen appliances. And at home, I cook a lot and I love cooking and it's great. So I'm making this sauce. It's like 10 o'clock at night. It's the sauce with the turmeric in it. And you're supposed to take the stuff that you've put on the stove. You've sauteed all these different veggies and coconut milk, and you're supposed to blend part of it so it smooths out the sauce. So I'm holding the blender just like, you know, almost half asleep. And all of a sudden, boom. And I think also the key part of that is that sauce you've been making has been in a boiling pot, right? So you've picked up this boiling pot of heavy liquid and poured Thick it in. liquid poured it yeah. into the blender basically right the non-vitamix blender don't make hot it, stuff in non-vitamix yeah. blenders apparently yeah and i think the blender the vitamix has a spot for the steam to go through but these are really cold smoothie blenders which was the first time you'd ever use that or, or and certainly we don't have one at home either so yeah. yeah so i'm blending and all of a sudden boom this sauce explodes and it's all over the roof and every surface of this kitchen and all over me. And instantaneously, I didn't even have time to even think what happened, but I started sprinting for the bathroom because I felt this crazy burning feeling on my body. And I get in the shower and it turns out that this thick sauce had gone onto my, I was wearing like this dress I had bought that day that was a bit lower cut, like tank top style. So it's all over my chest and my shoulders and my neck and my wrists. And I had it on my face. So after that, and I had to clean up the kitchen because it had turmeric in it, which is a, a yellow spice, and it stains instantaneously. So I'm in this Airbnb, literally standing on a chair with burns, like, searing my skin, trying to scrub this sauce off the ceiling and off the paper white blinds and everything else. <laughs> Fortunately, I didn't stain the kitchen, but I didn't walk away as lucky. And I had all these second-degree burns all over my body. There was about 17 spots where I was badly burned the worst pain was under my eyes. And now I have to get over this because I have to start the race. And I called Matt just totally upset saying, I, I really hurt myself. I'm really badly injured. Yeah. And the first thing you think of, well, you know, you, you've got a little bit of boiling liquid on your, you can't be that bad because you just think it might be water or like hot coffee. But when it's actually boiling heavy liquid, it, it like a sauce, like a sauce, it is. So when I actually saw the pictures, it was, I was actually shocked. Like it is really serious secondary burns. And of course, then they start, you know, swelling up with fluids and, and yeah. So again, thankfully, a good friend of Sonia's, Emmy is a, is a PA and was able to say, hey, you have to treat this really seriously because in classic sort of Sonia fashion, she was like, well, it hurts. I'm in a lot of pain, but you know what? I got to race tomorrow. I'm just going to harden the, the F up and, uh, and get out there. But it was good to have a professional say, you know, you, you really need to take this seriously. This is a serious injury. Yeah, like typically you go to the emergency room when you have burns that bad and that, uh, that big on your body. So it was nice to have that care, but it was nuts because I had like huge blisters and open sores all over me and they're still they're still not healed. So I was a bit worried because if those get infected, it's really serious and you could get, you know, blood bacterial poisoning essentially and it can put you in the hospital. So I had to shake that off before the start. So I had this like nightmare travel and I had all these burns all over me and, and all these bandages. And now it's the start line and it's like, okay, who cares? And I just have to focus on all those goals that I previously set, going out, doing my best, riding the technical, trying to enjoy the experience. And uh, an exercise before the race was, I actually admit that I didn't actually write it down, but journaling why I love racing. And I went, I was kept going over that in my head so that I could put all those things behind me. And it ended up being an awesome week of racing. 
Um, there is really amazing competition. Casey Armstrong and Vicky Barclay are two friends of mine, and they're also complete hammerheads on bikes, really fast, talented women. And it was great to have, and there's other women there too that I'd never met that were also really strong. So it was cool to be amongst such great racers because when people are fast, it brings the level up and it makes you ride better than you probably would have had there not been that level of competition there. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's a good experience for you to be coming to the East Coast because you do a lot of racing on the West Coast and connecting with that community of really strong women. And again, you knew you knew Vicky a little bit and, and Casey a little bit as well in advance, but it's cool to connect with everybody there and see how strong the sport is out here. Yeah. So day one, we, you know, Casey won day one by about a minute and that was awesome for her. She was rode really strong and Vicky and I rode together a lot and I kind of got away at the end. And then going into day two, it was an enduro day. And this was another thing that I was all up in my head about before the race because like I've done enduro races and last year I did three enduro stage races and it's awesome. But the bike makes such a huge difference. Like if you're riding a cross country bike versus a five or six inch travel mountain bike, it's, it's like cheating. I remember when I first rode a trail bike, I just thought it was like cheating riding on a technical trail. <laughs> and Matt got Matt had the same thing. <laughs> Absolutely. It's mind-blowing how easy the technical stuff becomes on the correct bike. And not that you can't do it on the smaller travel bikes, because you certainly can, but it is just very different. You're, you're cautious, you're picking your lines, but with those bigger travel bikes that are a bit more raked out, a bit slacked out, you attack things instead of go down them. And that mindset's very different. Yeah, so ironically, I didn't have my enduro bike at this enduro stage where only the downhills are timed, only the downhill time matters on this day, whereas all the other days, the uphill and the downhill mattered. So yeah, I just was kind of upset in the back of my mind and thinking, oh, this isn't fair. And I had to push the victim mindset out of my mind again because it's you only have what you have. So I had my cross-country bike to race on the enduro day. And while I don't actually think that that's fair, I think that the rule should be that every, you have to race every day on the same bike. You're not allowed to have two separate bikes because it's kind of hard if you're from somewhere where you need to take an airplane because traveling with two bikes is a nightmare. But I had to put that out of my mind and to try and make up for that, I actually brought a spare wheel set. So Stands and O-Tubes is my bike sponsor and I have cross-country wheels, which are 21 millimeter rim width. And then there's their trail rims, and those are 26 millimeter rim width. And what that does is with a, a wider rim width, you, you can match up a tire so that the tire sits on the rim in such a way that you're going to get the best grip. So if you have narrower rims with thicker tires, you're not going to have the tire be the optimal footprint on the rim. So having the 26 millimeter rims, these are the arch wheels, and having Continental Trail King and Mountain King big, awesome, knobby tires was a huge upgrade for enduro on my cross-country bike. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And it gives you a bit more confidence. You have bigger volume. You can run lower pressures. And that is a nice adaptation for that bike, for sure. Yeah, and I think one of the challenging things about that particular stage was the previous time you'd raced that stage had been a real challenge for you. And you really wanted to come and, and do well on that stage. You've been working really hard for that. So I think that was also a big stress for you going, you know what, I'd one of my goals for this race is to to be able to come back to stuff that I had a challenge with and and really crush it. And then there's anxiety behind that going, well, I didn't maybe bring the right equipment for that. Now I'm going to have to have a sub, maybe a suboptimal setup. And I really wanted to do well. Yeah. And on day one, I had a really bad crash because there's tons of rock gardens. Like I, I, don't, I love rocks and rock gardens, but it was an adjustment because it wasn't very steep. So you're kind of riding these trails where you have to pedal through rock gardens and clipping a pedal is really easy and really dangerous. So I had actually clipped a pedal on day one twice and had two crashes, but one of them was pretty bad. I injured my knee and it's actually still pretty injured from that crash. And I noticed that there was a little bit of uh, a ding on my bike when I was washing it and I just had to ignore it and keep going. So I went into the enduro day and it went really well. Like for the most part, I was riding really clean and I wasn't riding at a pace I would race my enduro bike at because on your cross country bike, you just can't go the same speed as an enduro bike. And I definitely learned that last year racing enduros. And there's only one stage where I had a major, major mess up. It was like a slightly uphill rock garden and I tipped over and then like somehow the buckles on all my shoes opened up and then I had to walk and blah, 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 who cares? But you're never gonna ride a perfect stage 
in an enduro. You just have to be able to stop and put those mistakes behind you. And I think that that also is a great lesson in daily life and something that I really took away from enduro that I was doing last year is if you make a mistake, you just have to look forward and keep going and look where you want to go, not looking back at all the mistakes you made because it's just going to create more mistakes moving forward. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's interesting training for enduro versus endurance because it's such a different discipline, but you start to learn the value of flow and and being smooth. And, and there's a lot of times where we might have sessioned a really technical section of the trail, say three times. And the first time, okay, we're just gonna ride in flow. And the second time, we're really gonna try and hammer that. And the fastest time ends up being the first time because you're in rhythm, you're in flow. Sometimes you put a little bit, you get a little bit too sketchy, you get, you're trying a little bit too hard and it can go go backwards on you. So it's a really different discipline. And it's really fun to, to take that and apply it to cross country racing. Yeah. So for this Enduro Day, it was funny because I almost even go to the awards presentation because it was like a 22 minute commute back and forth every day that I was doing multiple times. And I thought, well, maybe I can just get a little extra recovery today. But I ended up getting second place in that stage on my cross country bike. And one of the girls, Casey, she was on her Enduro bike racing and she had had a chain issue on one of the stages. So she lost like a minute or something running the stage. But even so, like I was really excited to get second place on my cross country bike and it was unexpected and it was really cool to see that, hey, I can come on this. The thing I was worried about, I actually excelled in. And that day I actually moved into the leader's jersey as well. So that was a really cool day for me to on my worst stage four years ago, I lost like 10 minutes in the GC or something horrible like that. And then coming back and on that day, being able to do so well against people on enduro bikes, on my cross-country bike, and to take over the leader's jersey was pretty awesome. So then the next day, stage three, it was a longer day. It was definitely suited for endurance athletes. And if you don't pace yourself properly, you can pay for it in the end. So I actually didn't pace myself properly because Casey goes out so fast in these races. And so I actually got kind of caught up in that and pushed myself a little more than I knew I should have. And I blew up on the beginning of this day. And I had to spend the rest of the day, well, not the rest of it, but a, a big portion of it just trying to recover. And Vicky caught up to me and we went back and forth. And I thought to myself, well, I guess this is it. I'm going to be third place. I'm riding in third place. And just the mental game of being the leader and then people passing you, knowing that you went out too hard, thinking, okay, well, third place. And I really thought I was going to be third place for the day and lose the leader's jersey, but I didn't give up. I just kept going, and I kept trying to push those thoughts out of my mind and, again, stop focusing on the result and focus on the process. What do I need to do to get to the finish line in the best possible way? And it was the most exciting day of racing I've had in a long time. So Vicky and I are racing, going back and forth and duking it out, and it was really fun. And about five miles from the finish, we were on this climb, on this single track climb. And I see someone in the distance, and it was Casey. And I couldn't believe that we had caught back up to her. But she also had said in, a, in one of her video interviews that she went out hard and blew up and just was pacing too hard in the race. So I caught up to her, and Vicky was right behind me. And I, I managed to launch this attack, and I rode away from them. And they were putting the pressure on behind me for sure. And I had to absolutely kill myself, but I made it to the finish line, and I got like almost three minutes that day on uh, Casey for the leader, you know, to solidify the leader's jersey even more. And Vicky was only like 40 seconds behind me. So that was like a three and a half hour race day that came down to such a tight gap. And again, having that level of competition and such great people to race with to really push each other, it just was a really positive, fun thing. And people said, well, and I used to think this too, because men's racing t tends to be a little bit tighter for endurance races. And I thought, I'd always think, oh, that would be so stressful to be so close to your competition. But it's actually not stressful. Like I raced with Vicky. I'd say Vicky and I rode tire to tire the most during the race. And it was fun. Yeah, I think it's really neat when we were talking about that. What a cool experience. Like myself, I love to ride my bike. I love to race. I'm not a top level pro. And I've, I've never been in a situation where you're tacking and blowing up and getting caught and then launching again and going ahead and, and duking out and trying to pass. So it's so cool to hear these stories. And especially when there's three great competitors and that are good people that you enjoy racing. I mean, you're both, you're all trying to kill one another, but you respect one another. 
and you know one person rides away and blows up and the next two catch up and attack the next person goes it's that is like the when you think of the coolest situation in racing that is what it is it's it's not even so much the winning it's like being in that moment and, and being able to do that is is so cool yeah it was really awesome and i mean all of us are so evenly matched that anybody could have won that day and that goes for the whole entire stage race. I think that it could have been anybody's race. And that's a really cool thing to be racing where you guys are maybe like 1% different from each other. Yeah, that's the that's the best part about sport. Like you just don't know what's going to happen until you get to the end. Yeah, so that now, now we're in day four and this is where things get really interesting. And the race had kind of run out of new leaders jerseys to hand out. So someone said to me something to the effect of, well you can just hang on to that and hope maybe you can wash it so I can hand it back to you at the end of the race. Cause he was assuming that I was going to win the race. And that morning I said, well, you know, this is a stage race and any, there's still like two days left. So anything can happen. And unfortunately something did happen. So <laughs> the race started out and Casey again went off like a rocket. And I decided that I was going to pace myself properly this time because every day we would end up catching back up again and, you know, hopefully moving forward. But so I, I was pacing it properly, but then at mile five, my derailleur stopped working. Like, and it was weird because I have DI2 and I've, ne I've never had a problem with it. I've been using it for a year and a half and it's been flawless. So I had to like start coasting and reset the whole system and then try and do uh, an electronic derailleur adjustment while riding my bike in the race. So that part was a bit, a bit challenging and a bit discouraging because I only had now three or four gears that I could get to work. And we got into this enduro section and every day there was some enduro. And this was one of the highlights of the day. I, all these guys had gotten in front of me because I couldn't really pedal on the road because I was trying to adjust this derailleur. And there was this crazy rock garden and suddenly it was like a sea of men parted. <laughs> and there was just all these rocks and I just let my brakes go and just looked to the exit and I just like plowed through that rock garden and crushed it. So it was a really cool feeling and just really fun. And I had caught back up to Vicky on that because she also had gotten away because I couldn't pedal. And we were riding together and my derailleur is getting worse and worse. So now I'm just nursing, having three gears and just thinking to, again to myself, oh God, like I had a three plus minute gap on, you know, in the lead and now I'm going to lose it because my derailleur isn't working and I don't even know why it's not working. And so I had to go through the mental process of being okay with that. And again, this is something out of my control. I can't go any faster than this because these are the only gears I have and maybe I can make it up tomorrow. And then... It gets even worse. <laughs> so now I'm I'm trying to make up time on the Enduros because you actually can get a, a one minute maximum time bonus if you win the Enduro because there's time segments during the day for that option. So I was really pushing the downhills. Then suddenly I heard this weird noise and it was like a zzz noise. And I thought maybe my toe peak seat bag had come loose and was maybe rubbing on the tire or something. And I look back while I'm riding downhill and I see that the wheel is fine. Like there, there's nothing rubbing on the wheel. But I hear it again and I think, you know what, even though I'm on the Enduro, I need to stop and just see what that noise is because this is not a good noise. And I looked down and I saw where I had crashed, where I had seen the little bit of a ding on my bike from day one on that really bad crash on the rocks. My rear chainstay had broken all the way through. And there's no coming back from that. <laughs> I was beyond shocked because my bikes are amazing bikes and I've never had this happen before. But sometimes when you just have a really bad crash, there's things that break. And in this occasion, I got really unlucky and it was my frame. So I had to get off my bike and I was just walking and I looked down and it was mile 18 and the day is like a 27 mile day. And quitting did not even cross my mind, which I love that. So now I have to ask just to interrupt, <laughs> like what is going through your mind at this point? Like you go from having kind of a, a bad day and you've sort of gotten yourself okay with that. And then you go from bad day to complete like you know that the bike is shot. So, you know, not only this day is going to be gone and maybe the next day is going to be an issue as well. Sort of what's going through your mind at that point? Like, how, how do you deal with that? And where what happens the moment you realize it? And then where do you go from there? That's a great question because I don't really remember having to struggle with thought process. I, I think that the real struggle with the thought process was when my derailleur wasn't working because that's when I knew I was losing my leader's jersey that day because there's just no way that I could race with only three gears working on my bike. And the reason my derailleur stopped working is because everything's built on tension. And whenever your chainstay is flexing a lot, it's going to mess up how the derailleur is operating. So that's why the derailleur had stopped working properly. So by the time I got to the point where my uh, chainstay was no longer in one piece, I was already kind of, 
I actually think I laughed a little bit <laughs> because it's just like all this stuff happened. I had worked through all these mental th- mental strength things coming into this race and everything was had actually, despite having a difficult travel and having second degree burns all over my body, I was still winning the race without the training and without all these things that I thought I was going to have. And then my derailleur stopped working and then my bike broke. So I just, I don't know. I wasn't upset. I was kind of just like, oh, that sucks. But I just laughed at it because what option do you have in that situation? It's like, I've done everything I can. Everything was going well. So my next thought was, okay, well, how am I going to get to the finish line? Because I'm not quitting. I'm not dropping out. So I thought, wow, like that's going to suck if I have to walk all the way to the finish line. But I have walked my bike seven hours to get to a finish line before in the Himalaya, which you guys can watch my TED talk about that. So it's not un, you know, uncharted territory having to just not <laughs> get a DNF. Yeah, I'm not a quitter in a race. And I finally got to a road section. I was walking through the trail and people saw what happened. They're like, oh, that sucks. And I see some people and I say, some spectators, and I say, does anybody have a bike I could borrow? I just got to finish the stage and I'll bring it right back. <laughs> And this lady said, yeah, I have a bike. Her name was Mandy and she like lived around there. So they bring out this bike and it's not a bad bike, but it's not really, you know, a cross country race bike. It's a a plus bike hardtail and it had flat pedals and reflectors and the whole nine yards. So I don't know if you've ever ridden um, SPD cleats on flat metal flat pedals, but it's pretty treacherous. But I just threw my bike down. I said, I'll be back, took the bike and I rode the, the last seven miles on this Fat, fat bike with flat pedals and reflectors. And it was a little bit dicey because uh, you're on wet trails with roots. And I actually got a flat tire <laughs> about, oh, maybe like a mile to the finish line. And I had to just ride the flat into the finish line because I left all my supplies on my other bike to fix a flat tire. You're probably trying not to like destroy this nice person's bike you've just borrowed because you're shrat, you know. Yeah, I definitely wasn't <laughs> riding hard. I was trying to be really, really gentle. Um, <laughs> to replace this person's bike. <laughs> yeah, so people were pretty surprised to see me. I was 20 minutes off the, the winning pace that day, obviously. And then, unfortunately, I got a 60-minute time penalty for accepting outside assistance, which I'm not super stoked about that. In the rule book, it didn't say anything about that, so I don't really know where that rule came in, but I didn't complain or make excuses. I just accepted the time penalty. It's too bad because I would have been third in the GC still, even with all of that. But instead, it pushed me back to 10th place, and what are you going to do? So Yeah, and I think at this, I mean... You've done the preparation mentally. Unfortunately, you've had to go through a bunch of different outcomes you can't control that didn't go your way. So once you've actually really practiced that skill, it becomes a lot easier to absorb that and go, you know what? There's nothing you can do. And you just you do your best and and on you go. But those are hard things, right? Especially when you're competitive, right? And and things aren't going your way. But you did a great job with that. That that was awesome. Yeah, I have to say that I was proud of how I handled that situation because I wasn't devastated. I wasn't, there was only a second where I felt like crying, only a second. Cause I was like, ah, like, and it wasn't even that, oh, I lost the leader's jersey. It was, oh my God, I've been through so much in the last like four days. I've like, I could barely get here. I have like all these second degree burns all over my body and my bike broke and I was winning, you know, all these things that had just happened. And I just, I don't know. I just accepted it as it was. And I went back to what my goals were coming into this race. And it was prove to myself that I can crush the technical and I've worked really hard at this. And that definitely showed. And also be okay with the process. And it was going well. I was actually winning the race despite coming in without the preparation that I wanted and that I had some secret fitness in the bank I didn't even know I had. And I still had a great time. Like I really was enjoying my experience of being at the Transylvania Epic. And so for the next day, I was able to borrow another person's bike. Fortunately, the community was supportive of me. I was kind of out of it for racing and it's really dangerous to push on a bike that you've actually never ridden before. That's not really set up for you on technical terrain. But the last day I ended up just doing a Grand Fondo and it was awesome. I rode with all these people that normally I wouldn't get to ride with. And I got I did some GoPro videos, which I still need to edit and put on my YouTube channel. Subscribe to my YouTube channel. <laughs> and I got to hang out at the aid stations and eat like stuff I would never eat in a race. Like I was smashing Pringles and <laughs> Coca-Cola and candy. <laughs> in fact, I ate so much at the aid station, I felt kind of sick. But yeah, I turned a, a situation that 
you could choose to be a victim in this situation and say, oh, all these things happened to me and it sucks and my race is ruined and blah, blah, blah. But I really didn't feel that way at all. I felt like just, I still felt really happy. And I was just, I mean, I was disappointed. I'm not going to say that I wasn't, but I didn't let that conquer how all my feelings of happiness and, and that I was riding in the forest and just the fun I was having. Yeah. And I think you also went into the race very thoughtfully. You're going in because you want to win and you're racing to win, but that's not the only reason why you're riding your bike. That's in sort of an uh, accessory reason. And so if you go in saying what you did, which is I want to prove that I'm in good shape. I want to prove that to myself, prove to yourself that you're in good shape, feel like you've improved technically and that you're now a strong technical rider. And importantly for you, because this is really who you are, is connect with the community there, get to get to know more people and, and be plugged into that, that community on the East coast. So, I mean, all of those things you accomplished. And I think if you went in and the only thing you didn't accomplish was winning the overall. So if you go in there, you go, you know what? I accomplished three out of the four things I wanted. I was leading. I, I was doing really well. So you're kind of at three and a half out of four. It's a lot easier, I think, emotionally to say, you know what? That was a really good week rather than if I only wanted to win and I didn't win, then everything sucked. Like, so, it, yeah, I think the work you did beforehand, certainly with the help of Dr. Chris as well, is huge because it's also just not easy. It's not easy to just go... And it's not correct to go, oh, I just don't care. That's not what you're saying. It's it's not, I don't care about the bad things that happen. Of course you care. It's being able to handle those in a productive way. Yeah, like I, I still, of course, it, if I start thinking about it, I feel chafed <laughs> that I didn't win this race because I know that I could have won this race. And, and I feel confident that I would have won this race had all those things not happened. But, you know, it's racing and things happen. So again, it doesn't matter who you are, what level you're racing at. When you have anxiety going into a race, and I should have said this earlier in case people didn't make it this far into the podcast, but when you're going into a race, focus on why you're racing. And it helps take away all of those anxiety things. You're racing your bike because you love to challenge yourself. Maybe you love just racing other people. But for me, I race because I love the challenge. I love the extreme highs and lows. I love the things that you have to overcome for better or for worse. I love the adventure. I love meeting new people. And I love that every single thing that happens in a race is an opportunity for personal growth. And that has been such a crazy vehicle for me in my life. I've taken on lots of challenges off the bike, but on the bike. And I know that you guys can definitely relate to this. The things that we go through make us better, stronger people. And being able to go through those hard things, even though this year there's been a lot of them, has been great because when everything goes well, there are no lessons for you. It's when things go wrong. That's when there's the real opportunity for you to have these experiences where the next time things go wrong, you can say, well, at least I didn't start the race with second degree burns and broke my bike. Like, <laughs> you know, it can always be worse. At so you didn't walk from seven, you know, 12,000 feet. 17,000 feet. Oh, 17, or no, 18. Feet. Yeah, <laughs> I've walked my bike down from 18,000 feet down through the snow with no brakes. So, yeah, I mean, things happen. And whenever you go through difficult things and you overcome them, it was just really nice to know that you're capable of handling those things. And you know that in your daily life, any stress that comes your way, if you can get through things that happen to you in bike races gracefully and you work on the mental aspect, like you don't have to be perfect. You don't have to, it's okay to be upset and to maybe you did play a victim role one time or, or whatever, but as long as you can learn from those things, I think that's the most important lesson is that you just move on and you can see, say, okay, how could I have done that better? Yeah, and that's a cool thing is that you can be a race-winning athlete or you can be a mid-pack athlete or the back-of-the-pack athlete, and all those lessons are equally true and equally valid. So, yeah, that's a very powerful message for not just pros who are struggling to manage you know, winning and losing, but for anyone who gets on a bike and goes to a race. Yeah, and I mean, a podium, <laughs> I'm not trying to like say podiums aren't important, but it's just a public recognition of how fast you are. And that's such a tiny portion of racing. Like, sure, a podium, it puts you up there for people to admire and say, wow, he or she is so fast or so badass or whatever. But the podium is such a small portion of what goes on in a bike race. And there's so many people that do amazing things. They had to make all these sacrifices to get to a race. Maybe they even came in last place. And they deserve the same recognition that somebody who won the race gets because they went through maybe something even harder than the podium. So in my mind, 
while I love winning races, sure, the podium is just a place for public recognition. And that's not the only reason I race my bike, not for recognition. I do it because I love the challenge of being out there and getting through a race course. Yeah, one of the things that always blows me away too is the people that organize the races never get that in any way, shape or form. And they're the ones that are really building that community. They are making a place where the cool thing about mountain biking especially is the amateurs can race with the pros maybe not in the exact same category but you're on the same courses at the same time you get to interact so all those volunteers that come and spend their time all the race organizers that build these places for this community to happen and they don't they don't get a podium they no. don't get a you know they don't get all these things but i mean there's so many really cool things that are going in and around that race to to make this thing happen that just being part of that energy is really really special yeah and the transylvania epic did a phenomenal job in terms of race organization i mean they had every course well marked they had to make last minute changes because there was a lot of rain to cut out or reroute parts of the race and i didn't hear a story of anybody getting lost which is amazing over five days through really lush single track and everything was amazing. Like they really did. They have it nailed. And on top of it, they raised money for the local high school mountain bike league, the Pennsylvania Mountain Bike League. And their goal was to raise about $15,000. And it was really amazing to see how many different people were able to raise a little bit of money to contribute to this and to really give back to their community. Absolutely. It's pretty cool that they're that plugged in and that they care about not just, you know, building better bike racers, but trying to build community too. That's really neat. Yeah, because there are certain races I've been to where they used to be like that and then they become too greedy and there's nothing wrong with making money. But when you start, not, I don't know the right word for it, but when you you stop focusing on the experience for the people and giving back to the community and your only focus becomes making money, then you can kind of see a shift in the race. Yeah, and I think you want to see a race be successful. You want to see a race make money, otherwise they're not going to be there. I think there's there's absolutely that should be in place. And if you're not going to be able to make money organizing a race, they're all going to go away. So that inherently is a good thing. But when you're right, the focus goes from building communities and being profitable to I want to be profitable at all costs. You can feel it when you go to that race and it doesn't feel as good. It doesn't feel as comfortable. And eventually, if that stays that way, that race will start to shrink and die. So it's ironically, the more you can connect with your community and be about the community, the more profitable you can be at the same time, even though that's not your primary objective. So those are sort of basic tenets of business that you see. It doesn't make a difference if we're talking about Harley David motorcycles or the TSE Epic or Apple computers. The, those are sort of basic tenets. So. It's, it's cool to see those things happening at TSE. So now's a good time to wrap it up. We have some bike riding to do on the little shredder city bikes to do some urban assault riding. We're going to cruise down to Battery Park and see if we can see the Statue of Liberty in the distance. Thank you so much for listening to episode six of the podcast and check out some of the previous episodes. If you've missed them, we've had some really interesting interviews and some great guests. Thank you to all of you who have left reviews and star ratings on iTunes. If you haven't done so and you enjoy the podcast, please leave a rating. It would really help us out a lot. And it helps with the iTunes search engine so that other people can find the podcast. Don't forget to check out my social media channels, my Strava. If you guys want more, I have a monthly newsletter I send out. You can sign up for that on my website. And the effing magical unicorn socks are only going to be available for about two more weeks. So you can find those links on my social media pages as well. Thanks again, you guys. Wishing you all the best success in your training and your adventures. And we'll see you back here next week.